This is the Angry Tech News Podcast at angrytechnews.com. Now your host, the angry programmer with a mic, Brian Bemrose. This is episode two of the Angry Tech News Podcast for Friday, September 17th, 2021 at angrytechnews.com. I'm your host, Ryan Bemrose. Today is a day for slaughtering the tech darlings, Apple, Tesla, Proton Mail, loved by tech nerds everywhere. Big companies, sure, but aren't they on the side of the little guy? Not hardly. Let's get to the news. From the Jobs, 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 Where Are You, Steve Jobs Department, we start with the Epic versus Apple App Store case, as reported, well, everywhere. My very first reaction to that when I heard that the case was finished was that the judge got it wrong. But to be fair, I was playing the odds and had no other information at the time. For a more nuanced take, I read the 185-page verdict penned by Judge Yvonne Gonzalez Rogers of the U.S. District Court for Northern District of California. We all knew going in that the key question, whether Apple is an illegal monopolist, would hinge on how you define the market. Epic says it's the iOS market, and Apple is a monopolist. Epic wanted the court to force Apple to allow third-party app stores into iOS. Apple says that it's just a small part of the smartphone market, and they're just one player. Well, from the ruling, quote, the court disagrees with both parties' definitions of the relevant market. The relevant market, according to the court, is digital mobile gaming transactions. Court ruled that Apple is very successful, but that Epic did not demonstrate that they are monopoly and that success does not mean illegality. In fact, Epic's case was harmed because they worked around the Apple tax using the V-Bucks in Fortnite, where you have to go to the website to make their purchases instead of being able to buy them in the app. The central question was the, uh, well, here's a quote. The court considers whether Apple's operating system should be viewed as a foremarket. The court finds that it should not. Uh, a foremarket is the, uh, the base item. Like if, if an aftermarket is razor blades, the foremarket is the razor itself. And in this case, Epic was arguing that the phone was a foremarket and the court decided not to consider that. And given that the court didn't consider the foremarket, they decided that the market for smart for mobile gaming, Apple only controlled 15% because that's how many smartphones they have. This pretty much destroyed Epic's argument about monopolies. So basically, the judge decided that monopoly within an ecosystem is not illegal because first you have to choose an ecosystem or uh, put another way as a consumer. Your choice is iOS or non iOS. If you choose iOS, you have no more choices. And according to the district court in the Northern District of California, that's not illegal. So make your decision well. Other parts of the decision, the court generally agreed with Epic that Apple is forcing prices artificially high for consumers and developers. Quote, the court finds that with respect to the 30% commission rate specifically, Apple's arguments are pretextual, but not to the exclusion of some measure of compensation. This occurred several times in, in the long, long document where the judge pretty much said, Epic has some solid arguments. Apple's lawyers are jerking me around. But ultimately, Epic did not prove their case. One win for Epic in this is that Apple had a rule that if an app ever mentioned any kind of payment or subscription that wasn't through the iOS app in App Store, then the app would be blocked. Uh, that now, 
According to this ruling, Apple must develop, allow developers to tell people about alternate ways to pay for in-app purchases, which gives a clever developer a way to go entirely around the 30% Apple tax by never doing in-app purchases in the app and instead always directing users to their website. This is pretty huge. It completely ruins one of one of Apple's big rules that locked people into their 30% Apple tax. So um, I think it's a I think that's a win there. Ultimately, though, this ruling is a pretty big win for Apple. Of course, this could still backfire on Apple. Many lawmakers in Washington, D.C. have said that modern antitrust laws are insufficient. And uh, Judge Rogers just proved their point by ruling that Apple's anti-competitive behavior does not break the law. And that's an argument for a lawmaker with an agenda to go in and create something new. Oh, and finally, the court ordered Epic to pay Apple 30% of all revenue from Fortnite on iOS. Epic has, of course, already filed their appeal. But that's not all of the Apple controversy, no. Last month, Apple announced some new features in iOS and iPadOS. The first was a new feature in the Messages app, which will scan every photo that you send or receive for, quote, sexually explicit photos. It uses an on-device machine learning to analyze the images, so at least they're not sent to Cupertino to be added to Apple employees' spank banks. But if it finds one, a message is sent to your parents explaining that their kids need some more Puritan mind-washing, and the image is automatically blurred alongside some links from some of Apple's fact-checker mind-washing, uh, although Apple's press release uses the term, quote, helpful resources. Side note. I'm all for responsible parenting, but this kind of surveillance isn't it. Part of parenting is building a trust relationship with your kid. They trust you and you trust them. Putting spyware in their devices doesn't reinforce trust, it erodes it. If you honestly think you need this kind of nanny feature from your phone, well, I can't force you to sit down and have that long overdue conversation with your child about mutual respect and boundaries, but I might just suggest that you do less damage to the relationship by just taking the phone away than by giving them a phone that spies on them. So... Apple has a, a new feature in iCloud that scans for CSAM, Child Sexual Abuse Materials. It's a fancy term invented so that Apple would not have to use the phrase kiddie porn in their press releases. Uh, this feature triggers whenever you upload a photo to iCloud, which a lot of phones are set to do automatically, although I don't think it does that by default, and it scans for banned images. Now, Apple is not innovating here. Google, Amazon, and Facebook already scan using the same database of kiddie porn. Uh, maintaining that database must be a certain class of employee's dream job. I don't think I'd like it. But while others check in their server farm when the image is uploaded, Apple considers it a feature that they are checking on the device. So what the OS will do is download to your phone a database of known kiddie porn images. Not the actual images, that would be illegal, just the hashes of the image. Now, I don't know how many of them are in this database. I've never seen it, and I hope not to. But I bet that database isn't small, so I don't know what this is going to do to your storage space, not to mention adding a delay when sending or storing a photo. Does Apple still use the spinning beach ball on iOS? Anyway, if their algo detects enough matches, how many is up to Apple's sole discretion, your account is flagged and Apple employees look at your photos to decide if you're a degenerate. If they decide yes, your account is disabled and your name is forwarded to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children so that you can receive further persecution. There is, of course, an appeals process, and I'm sure it will be met with the same detailed investigation and personal attention that we've come to expect from all Silicon Valley appeals processes. That is to say, none at all. Now, stop a moment and imagine that I never used the phrase kiddie porn or CSAM or whatever they're calling it. 
Protecting children is a key phrase used by propagandists to make you shut off your critical thinking skills and engage protective parent mode while you're, you'll accept any overreach or invasion into your privacy, security, and home as long as the little tykes remain unharmed. But just stop and think about what the technology being created and deployed here. Suppose instead we were talking about, I don't know, regular porn or risque photos, or maybe just a photo of you walking down a street in Washington, D.C. when there happens to be maybe a politically unpopular protest nearby. Suppose instead of kiddie porn, they used it to crack down on unpopular political thought. I don't know, gun ownership, or maybe somebody saying, my body, my choice. These are questions you really should be thinking about whenever somebody announces a children and says, you know, for kids. How will it be used when it's not for kids? Obviously, exploiting kids for sexual purposes is a bad thing because it gets a knee-jerk reaction from so many parents and because nobody in their right mind would ever say, oh, it's okay to exploit kids. The it's the go-to for any political entity that wants to introduce more surveillance. Kitty porn is the camel's nose in the tent for invasive technology. They can in- take away your privacy and rights. They can, I, they can do whatever they want because who can object? If you object to the new technology and restrictions, it must mean you're a pedophile, right? Well, this isn't just a hypothetical argument. The technology used on images can be expanded to be used on messages, FaceTime, phone calls, or any other communication. Apple assures us that they are capable of resisting government efforts to expand into illegal surveillance of things that aren't kiddie porn. But just this week, Apple censored an anti-Putin voting app that the Russian government didn't like. The app, Navalny, allows voters to coordinate their voting on to one opposition party candidate without relying on state-controlled media. The Russian government declared the app illegal and put pressure on Apple to remove it, and therefore Apple removed it. So can they resist government efforts? It doesn't look like it. So just think about that when when Apple is coming out and saying, we'll only keep this on kitty porn, and that is right up until the point where a government comes up and says, yeah, but we really need you to track some protesters or something. Our last Apple story comes from 9to5Mac, who points out some shareholders who have noticed that while Apple PR is always talking about being environmentally friendly, they continue their policy of generating thousands of tons of e-waste in the form of iPhones going into landfills because they can't be repaired. USPIRG and Green Century Funds have bought up a number of Apple shares and are now leveraging them to put heat on the company about their anti-environment, anti-repair policies. These holding companies are pushing a relatively new concept called environmental social governance, wherein activist funds are buying shares in a company and then trying to force policy changes in that company. The ESG movement is dangerous. It's a huge, possibly even existential threat to corporations. I don't approve of these tactics, not least since they seem to be mainly used for social justice causes that come out of the popular but inherently unworkable ideologies of the left. But I do like seeing it pointed at a company that has spent so much effort frustrating people's ability to do what they like with their devices. And that has done so much damage to the first sale doctrine. As of yet, Apple is standing fast on their position against being able to repair their devices, but we'll see what happens at the next shareholder meeting. So if you move to the Apple platform because you wanted privacy or because you wanted to save the environment, just be aware those days are over. From the not as private as you think you are department, ProtonMail, the darling email provider of security-minded people, has been caught giving up the IP address of one of their users. A group of activists in France called Youth for Climate had set up shop in Paris to fight against gentrification, a.k.a. capitalism. 
They started doing the usual retard socialist activist things like spraying graffiti and intimidating local shops and caught the attention of the French police. The group published a series of articles that the government didn't approve of, and because freedom of speech isn't a thing in Europe, the authorities decided to use force to shut them up. So French police sent a request to ProtonMail to get the identity of the person who owned the account and used to publish the stories. ProtonMail, a Swiss company, presumably told them to pound sand, so the Frenchies instead sent the request to the Swiss police via Europol. The next day, a French police report revealed that ProtonMail had given up the IP addresses and device ID used to access the account. No message content or attachments were given up because they are encrypted and not even ProtonMail have access to decrypt the messages. Founder and CEO Andy Yen from ProtonMail said Proton must comply with Swiss law. As soon as a crime is committed, privacy protections can be suspended and we are required by Swiss law to answer requests from Swiss authorities. There you have it. He also added, at no point were we aware that the targeted users were climate activists. We only know that the order for data came from the Swiss government and came through channels typically reserved for serious crimes. Everything here was legal under Swiss law. Proton Mail follows Swiss law. Also, this was not the first time it has happened and it won't be the last. The authorities know this. According to Proton Mail's transparency report, in 2017, Proton Mail received 13 orders from Swiss law enforcement revealing the IP addresses and identities of users who presumably committed a crime. In 2020, ProtonMail received 30,572, an increase of more than 27,000%. According to ProtonMail's privacy policy, they disclose the IP address and sender of the sender and of the recipient, the email address of who you're communicating with, the date and time of messages, the text of any unencrypted message sent from outside the system, and any other information that you have given to ProtonMail when you created an account. They will also, quote, monitor an IP address if requested by Swiss authorities, which is kind of the opposite of that whole we don't keep logs argument. Obviously, you can mitigate some of this with simple steps like using Tor or VPN and never providing any information online that the site doesn't need to provide you their service. ProtonMail has already updated their terms of service to include the line, if you are breaking Swiss law, ProtonMail can legally be compelled to log your IP address as part of a Swiss criminal investigation. Just to make clear, they absolutely intend to continue following the law, and why wouldn't they? So what does this mean? Well, for starters, all of you smug jackholes who claimed that ProtonMail was the end-all of email security and that I was silly for running my own server owe me an apology. Not going to get it, am I? Are they good? Yes, I'll grant they're a damn sight more secure than Yahoo or Gmail. Are they the last word in security? Mm, no, hell no. Anytime you use someone else's service, you are now subject to their priorities and their rules. In most cases, the company offering the service couldn't give a rat's ass what happens to your privacy or rights. ProtonMail is one of the good guys, relatively, and they do seem to care quite a bit, but they have just shown you exactly how far they will go and no farther. Oh, and Europol? The Europol system that was used was set up to track terrorists and dangerous criminals. Do socialist climate hooligans meet the bar? I don't know. Will the police use it that way? Sure looks like it. Whenever the government gets a new surveillance toy to spy on its citizens, the scope always creeps. Always. So who do they track next? Tax dodgers? Protesters? The unvaxxed? And from the goalposts on the move department. Tesla is one of my favorite darlings to bash, not just because its fans exhibit such an irrational, uncritical, and fanatical devotion to the brand but also because they are so pathologically cavalier about living up to the promises they make to their customers. One such promise is their full self-driving package. 
If you don't remember, FSD is an optional add-on that Tesla sells with their cars, which promises the ultimate dream of being able to lay back, put on makeup, or just take a nap during that long, boring commute. Okay, some of you already do that in rush hour traffic, but stop it. What Tesla is selling is that the car will drive itself. Thousands of people dropped extra cash at the dealership for the promise that their car would drive itself. It was an extra $3,000 on early Teslas. Now, today, it runs $10,000, and they say that it'll be $20,000 once they get everything working. Personally, I'm skeptical that they'll ever pass that milestone. In the last hundred years, safely piloting a car on a busy street with bollards, pedestrians, and other cars has proven to be an extremely difficult task for humans. Computers don't have nearly the parallel processing capability that humans do, and humans screw up the task tens of thousands of times a day. Also, the safety bar that we're setting for autonomous cars is orders of magnitude higher than we expect from the average commuter. But like I said, thousands of Tesla drivers have dropped hard cash for the promise of FSD. Electrek reports that Tesla is rolling out beta 10 of their FSD to the early access fleet. To try it out, you either have to be in that fleet or enroll in the beta. But hold on, there's a catch. Sent by Elon Musk earlier this week, the beta button will request permission to assess driving behavior using Tesla insurance calculator. If driving behavior is good for seven days, beta access will be granted. What? Yep, that's right. If you've been under a rock or just don't own a Tesla, these things have been spying on your every move in the car. The Tesla insurance calculator is kind of like an insurance black box that watches what you do and continuously judges whether you're a good driver or not. Not content just to sell this information for insurance companies and law enforcement? Okay, well, I don't have any evidence that they're doing that right now, but the slope from collecting data to storing data to selling data is really short and slippery in Silicon Valley. Tesla is now using it to decide if you're a good enough driver to be allowed to use FSD. Well, I guess the move makes sense from a purely corporate CYA perspective. Self-driving cars are taking a beating in the PR landscape every time that one has a crash. <laughs> oh, side note, I watched a video of a guy doing the monorail test. He was uh, telling this car to self-drive underneath the monorail in downtown Seattle over and over again. During the six-minute video that was posted, I watched the car repeatedly swerve back and forth in the lane, make two illegal lane changes, make a right turn from a straight-through lane, nearly hit four pedestrians, and generally drive like the kind of drunken asshole that the cops would have no problem meeting their quota with. The dude behind the wheel was super positive. Yeah, it passed that test about how well the car was driving. I think he might have even soiled himself at one point. Of course, he didn't have so much confidence in the car that he wasn't constantly grabbing the wheel and overriding it when it tried to veer into the next lane. But that's another thing. Anyway, I'd link the video in the show notes, but it went private about 30 minutes after I saw it, presumably because a video of the FSG package breaking laws and endangering pedestrians breaks the Tesla terms of service. But still, I have to ask. Is Tesla going to limit FSD to only, quote, good drivers if it comes out of beta? I mean, honestly, I suppose they might. That kind of paternalism is the Silicon Valley way. But let's assume they won't. Then by allowing only a certain type of driver, doesn't that mean you're skewing the test? Are the beta results even valid if the only thing you know is, well, this is how it drives when the driver has at least 35 points on their license or whatever their system they use is. But you know nothing about how it works with bad drivers because you didn't test that. And... Let's be honest, why does your driving skill even matter for that matter? Isn't the car supposed to drive itself? That does it for this episode of the Angry Tech News Show. This show is released on the value for value model. If you got any value out of listening to Angry Tech News, send some back. Go over to angrytechnews.com and click the donate button to make a one-time or recurring PayPal donation. 
Send whatever you think this show has been worth to you, be it $5, $25, or even $500. I don't judge. Also, I want to give special thanks to Darren O'Neill of Random Thoughts Podcast at randomthoughts.com for creating the episode art that you see in your podcatcher. He spared me from having to exercise my mad MS Paint skills. Also, special thanks to John Fletcher and Carolyn Blaney of the Hog Story Podcast for creating the robotized intro that you heard on this show. That's it for me. I'm Ryan Bemrose, the angry programmer with a mic. Tune in next week for more angry tech news.